Welcome everybody to to episode six of the Zion Experience. Uh, we uh, we have a special guest today, one of my friends. I I, I I can call him a friend. He's been a mentor. He uh, he was my teacher. He was my educator. Uh, he's he's the man that got me interested in why I'm an industrial engineer today. And uh, we'll maybe share that story a little bit later. But we're coming to you live. I've got a couple guests on. We had to. We had to make a little bit of a game day or call a little bit of an audible. We had had some technical difficulties on our normal stream yard that we use for, for video and the podcast. And so this is either going to come to you in video or it just might be an audio. Either one will be good. But I've got Reagan, um, who's starting with us, uh, just recently started with Zion in our marketing group. Um, Reagan's on with us. And then we've got our normal stay, Jacob, on. And then, of course, our guests are um, uh, the man of the hour, John Usher, Dr. John Usher from the University of Louisville. So uh, welcome to episode six of the Zion Experience. Uh, and then you've got me, of course, if you can't see me because the video's not on. This is Jimmy Shaw uh, with Zion Solutions Group. So let me introduce John. I, I've got a, I've got a little bit of a bio, so I'm going to read a little bit of it, but then I'm going to go off script and... Uh, we're very excited to have John on with us today, Dr. Usher on with us. I'll probably mix both of them in. He tells me call him John, but Dr. Usher is is what he's known Fine. as. So Dr. <laughs> Usher is a uh, professor at the of, of industrial engineering at the University of Louisville. He's been on the faculty at Louisville since 1987. Um, I was seven years old. Reagan, you probably weren't born yet. Jacob, I don't know, brother. Were you born yet? No, I was, no. Not. I was so, born in 2000. So one out of three off. was there when John started, when Dr. Usher started his career. He's done numerous 100 plus research publications. He's directed numerous grants in areas of reliability engineering, quality control, facility layout, material handling systems, which is near and dear to our heart. We're going to talk a lot about those last two today. Um, and he spent an incredible 36 years at the University of Louisville. Um, he served in numerous roles. He's been a faculty member. He's been the head of the department or the department chair, as they call it. Uh, he's been the director of an institute or institute director. Uh, he's been associate dean, and he even acted as the dean of the entire engineering school for two years, which he can share with us. So, John, we're glad to have you. Always good to talk. Uh, full disclaimer, we recorded this once. We had technical difficulties that time as well, but we've got, uh, so we're re-recording, um, but we're going to ask some new questions. We're going to have a lot of fun, and we just, we had a blast last time that we got to talk. So, John, did I miss anything in your bio of introductions, introducing you? Did I did I do it justice, or what do you Perfect. think? Perfect job. Always one of my favorite students, and you did a great job, and uh there's a few details in there over 36 years, but we, we won't be able to go into all of them. But uh, I think you hit the high points. It's great to be on with Abs you guys. Absolutely. Well, we're glad to have you. And uh, we've got Reagan. Actually, we'll go back. Reagan is going into her sophomore year at the University of Kentucky. So we got the little bit of the U of L and UK rivalry going on. <laughs> they've already they've already given each other grace and said it's okay. I still will talk to you. You're at U of L. You're exactly. at UK, but we'll agree to disagree. And then Jacob is riding high. He is a recent graduate of um, the University of Georgia. Super pumped. Uh, he graduated two or three weeks ago. He's a, he's a dog. They're 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 all their chest is out. They feel good about themselves <laughs> with their know. football team. Well, you know, we've won a few championships. Talking you know, smack. So. <laughs> you know, we've got one of one of the other co-founders is Drew Eubank, and he's he's a big Georgia Bulldog. I'm really I went to U of L obviously with that, but I'm not a sports guy, so um, I don't get in the middle of it. I just I don't. I was a UK guy till they lost to Duke in 1992, I think. Something got sucked out of me that night in that in Hodgeville, <laughs> Kentucky, and I just never really felt the same about basketball again. So thanks, Christian Leitner. You're not welcome in the state of Kentucky still. He uh they did a 30 for 30 or something where he drove through the state, which is pretty, pretty funny. And he's he probably is I there's some people that take their UK basketball extremely, extremely oh, yeah. serious. And 
totally off subject. Jacob told me he's going to keep me on subject. And I told yeah. him good luck, well, but well, we did just leave. in the first question. You know, you, you're talking about Kentucky, you know, Louis, University of Louisville. What kind of kept you at University of Louisville for, you know, your whole kind of 36 years? Did you consider maybe changing to another institution at some point or? Good question. Um, I mean, it's a long path. I could go way back, but I mean, I, I was born in Louisville. I grew up here. Uh, you know, I live here with my family. I have four kids. Uh, but, you know, back uh, back after I, I went to L, got my bachelor's and my master's in, in industrial engineering, decided to go off and get a Ph.D. And I ended up at NC State. Um, and uh, then after I graduated there, I was while I was working on my dissertation, I worked for IBM down there um, as a reliability engineer and interviewed a bunch of different places and uh, had offers at Rutgers and Pittsburgh. And at the last minute, Louisville had an opening. And since I was from here and I met my, had met my wife here, even though she's from New York, but she went to school here. All of our friends were here. We decided to come back to Louisville. And I thought, yeah, I can always go back to industry and work for IBM anytime. And so I guess I'll grab this faculty position. And so to your question, I guess over the years, yes, there were opportunities at other schools, not at UK, uh, but uh, they don't have an industrial engineering program there. They do have an engineering school that's great, but um, I don't know. I just fit and I just loved it. I, I, you know, you get great students like Jim and many others, and I don't know, there's just something about working with young people and being in an academic environment, doing research, teaching, you know, I'm a kind of a, a wannabe stand-up comedian, I guess, a performer. It's always fun to be in the classroom and joke around. And I don't know, it's just a, it's a very, very unique career choice. And um, so while there were some opportunities at some other places that I could have taken, I really honestly never thought about leaving Louisville. I just feel at home here. It is my home and I love it. And uh it's just been a great career. So I I, uh, I I wouldn't want to change a thing. I really literally would not change a thing. That's awesome. And you told me something last time when we talked, I did not realize that your wife was also a professor and taught for several years. And uh, so what did, what did she teach? Um, she uh, was a professor uh, over in the College of Business, taught economics. Uh, she'd been over there, I want to say 25 years, and she just retired last year. And um, she's fantastic. The, it's so funny. We'll go to a restaurant and I'll hear somebody say, Professor Usher. And I'll turn around, you know, thinking, oh, here comes one of my students. It's never for <laughs> me. It's always her. It, she used to teach. Well, she taught these massive sections of like 150 students in each one. And these kids just run up to her. Professor Usher, and they loved her, and they, uh, she's, she's hilarious. She, she's been a fantastic professor over there, and uh, so both of us, between that, you know, this academic sort of lifestyle, it's just, uh, it's been great. We love it. Awesome. I mean, I know that you did industrial engineering for the, you know, the whole time that you were there, teaching and stuff, I guess, kind of, how has that program grown while you were there and kind of what what are your some of your favorite moments over those 36 years at the you know oh U of L? So many. I mean, little things like coming in back to a program that that I graduated from and now I'm working with the professors that you know were my professors and now they're colleagues and so sort of like jim like do i call you dr usher or john i had to face that same issue with all my my faculty and uh my colleagues and then just over the years you know just so many great students that have come through and on, honestly the the best part of being a professor in my opinion isn't the things that I accomplished, you know, the papers that I've written and the research grants that I've worked on. It's really the students and seeing how they have gone out and, you know, become very successful on their own right. And it's uh, it's just very, very rewarding. And to know that maybe I played a small role in that. I mean, 
you know, Jim is successful because Jim was going to be successful doing whatever he chose to do in life, you know, but playing a small part in that and, and, and helping people along their way is just a very, it's just a very gratifying, fulfilling thing to do in life. Not that, that other things aren't, you know, you could, you could do lots of other things and find fulfillment, but at any rate, this, this has been a very positive experience for me and my family and my wife. So uh, it's been great. I got a question. So two professors in the family, four kids, I believe. Yes. Who, who takes care of the checkbook? My wife takes care of the checkbook. I figured with the business yeah. major. So she takes yeah, she, care of all of it and you get it. You get to get out of that. I get out. I got out of that. You know, we divided things up uh, along the way. Uh, most notably, I told her that I really didn't like changing diapers. And she said, well, I don't <laughs> like killing bugs. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a fair trade-off. And she said, so if you're in the basement and I'm upstairs and I see a bug and I scream, you got to come all the way upstairs and kill it. I'm like, that's fine. So then what I did not figure on is the diapers go away. Okay. And so there are no more diapers, right? And I've been killing (laughs) bugs. But now, get this, now we have grandkids. So uh, it's back to I nope, you're on diaper duty again. <laughs> so I don't know. I think this might even out fairly uh over uh today is actually our 39th wedding anniversary. So I, I think it's gonna even out eventually. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Awesome. That is awesome. I too, I uh my wife would tell you, Holly, John, I think you've met Holly at least. I, yes. I think you've met her. I can't remember, but Um, and you've met a few of my crazy kids, but I've got four kids and I was like super dad for the first kid. And then by the time the fourth one's come around, Maggie is three. She'll be four in August. My first, my, my baby is 12 years old. She just turned 12. Um, Abby, Abby Rose. I was like super dad. I was all over the diapers. I was helping. I never really got up at night. I, I never really got tagged in there. That was, that was mama. Holly's a wonderful mother, but she would tell you my my rate of involvement and helpfulness went steeply declined from first child to last child. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> you know, I've done, I was always willing to change. We're totally off subject. We'll get back on, Jacob, I promise. But I was totally willing to do whatever they needed. With the exception of I never gave a bath. I never got into the bath game. Of course, I've got, I've got three girls and one boy. Not that that matters, but... Mama Holly always did the baths and I never, I, I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've ever been a bath and done a bath, but diapers, I changed the diapers yeah. and there's nothing like, worse for new parents than that very first diaper. I know. The tar and the, I can't even, I can't pronounce any words, but the marconium or whatever it's called is like, that's like, that's the real deal. You know, you're in the game when, yeah. when day diaper number one shows up. Well, the key to a, a happy marriage is kind of dividing up and finding the things that, you know, you share it all. So uh, you take the good with the bad. Absolutely. Nothing better than having the right spouse. So I'm going to switch. I'm going to go into the next one. Uh, next question. And just, you know, obviously you've shared your background, uh, John. You've talked about why you got into teaching, the, just the rewarding career, Um what kind of advice, you know, you've seen a lot. You've seen the education and academic institution change over the years. It's it's evolving, and I think it's it's kind of a slow follower, but it's it's evolving to the newer technologies, the new way of teaching. It's a different group of kids in how they learn, the the manners, the respect, the, all the whole gamut of how they come in and learn. Kids learn so much faster, more rapid. We're more of a digital technology, but what kind of advice would you give for a freshman coming into college? Would uh, especially an engineer, like what would you say? We we might have somebody that's parents listening. It's in engineering. They're trying to help their kids kind of find out what do they want to be. I think a lot of people get intimidated by engineering. Uh, of like, man, it's too hard. It's too much. It's too. I can't do that. You got to be super smart. I think they're all. I don't. I don't know. That's fallacies to me that's not that i think if you've got an attitude and aptitude and you're willing to learn you can be a good engineer because there's so many different disciplines and sub-disciplines of it but what advice would you give for a maybe a parent guiding their child or for maybe a new 
maybe we'll have a freshman, somebody about to go into school, listening to the podcast someday. What advice would you give them? Great question, man. Multifaceted there. Um, met with a lot of parents over the years. You know, when I was serving as acting dean, I did a lot of recruiting, went to a lot of high schools. And honestly, I think my main message is um, engineering is difficult. I, I don't doubt that. I, I think lots of college majors are difficult in different ways, but it's doable. And I, I don't think a student would be there if they were not capable of it. In other words, we don't really admit students that aren't capable of getting it done. I think a lot of it comes down to choices that students make trying to balance, you know, school, sleep, and social life is kind of the three intersecting circles there. And you have to put, you got to decide how you want to do it. I do find that a lot of students um, come into college and they want it all now. They want to work. They want to have money. They want to have a great social life. They, you know, and you have to make trade-offs, honestly. And so I think an important aspect is make sure, making sure that as a student, you have a balance in your life where, like, if you need money, well, then you should take out a loan rather than working. Because now you're working, your academics are suffering because you're trying to work eight hours a day and get an engineering degree, which is virtually impossible. Um, and so you're hurting your future earning capability, which is going to be off the chart when you get your engineering degree or uh, your business degree, uh, talking to Reagan here, you know, your earning potential is four years away. So, so do what you need to do to be successful during that four years. And then the second thing that I always tell students is don't quit. Like we will literally have students come in and get a C on an exam, on one exam and say, well, I guess I'm not cut out to be an engineer because I got straight A's in high school. And then I get here to the engineering school. I got a C on an exam. I need to rethink my whole life path. Like, oh my gosh, like be resilient. You know what I mean? Like roll with it a little here. Like take your C and move on, dude. Like uh, get a C in the class. I don't care, keep going. Honestly, it gets easier in my opinion. The material gets more difficult in some respect, but you become smarter and you become adjusted and you learn the professors and you know them and you become part of the family. And honestly, it gets easier. Uh, I don't know that every engineering student would say, oh, my senior year was so easy. It's not easy, but you're smarter, more resilient, capable of doing the work. So I really, and this doesn't just apply to engineering, it's college. Stick with it. Don't quit. You're here. You were meant to be here. Get your degree. You are going to be set with a college degree. Um, so stay with it. Um, I always tease my class that it's really just an elaborate hazing process, right? It's like joining the fraternity or the sorority. We make you jump through all these hoops knowing that you're only going to use a fraction of it. It's not necessarily the stuff we teach you. It's that we make you jump through hoops and that when you get done, you're good at jumping through hoops. And so you learn to deal with business adversity and people that are hard to work with and problems and by jumping through the hoops, you become more capable. And oh, along the way, we did actually teach you a few things that you're going to use. So it's it's a very complex um, sort of scenario, but that's that's kind of my thoughts on on how it all works. And and every individual is different, but don't quit. That's the main thing. Just stick with it and get your degree and you're going to be very successful in life. Yeah, I, I understand that completely, especially because like when you're mentioning, you know, working uh, at one point in my, you know, academic career, I was working full time you know, at a grocery store and it's just because I was wanting money now, you know, and I, I saw my academics suffer. You know, I wasn't getting those A's that I was used to getting. You know, I was getting, you know, B, B low B's on quizzes and all this stuff that normally, 
you know, you, you just, you shouldn't be getting that on those things. And it's because I was getting that burnout. And I, I, I saw that you, you know, you teach classes in year three and year four for students. Do you see a lot of burnout with these students later on, especially because I know engineering has a lot of, you know, homework and it's a lot of studying and stuff like that. I would say more than business probably. So what kind of burnout do you see at your students? And I guess, how would you recommend students to combat that? You know, we do see a little of it. I I tend to teach mostly juniors, seniors, and graduate students. So I'm not teaching freshmen and sophomores as much. We tend to lose the largest percentage of our students who switch majors or even drop out of college during that freshman year. But um, yeah, they're they're tired. Everybody's tired by the end, right? You're burnout. One good thing of, that we have at at JB Speed School at, at the University of Louisville is that our students co-op. So they are a semester after four or five semesters, they start co-oping and they go out and work and they work full time and they're getting paid. And so that gives you a break from the grind of five classes and homework. And then you come back to school and that kind of gives you the break from getting up every morning and going to work at you know six o'clock in the morning or whatever so we kind of have this alternating thing that not only gives our students fantastic experience but it breaks up the grind and so i always advise students like try to do an internship you just need to break your mind up from classes 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 list sitting there listening to professors lecture at you all day you need to break up your routine so internships are fantastic um i don't know i think you know jim you made a comment that students are different today i i do think they've had different experiences than we had certainly my experience because i'm much older but um you know, it's still the same experience. You still have to come in, you got to read, you got to do work, you got to demonstrate your proficiency. And um, I do think we're, and we'll, this will get into another topic, but uh, we're going to see huge changes in how this is being done uh, in the future. Uh, the way we deliver education, it, it's going to have to change this massive infrastructure and all this is going to have to change and it will change. Somebody will figure out how to do it. But um, um, and then what the to to your question or your comment, Jacob, like how students will react to that and whether they get burnt out, um, that will all change. Um, lo lots of innovation is is coming. And, you know, I think COVID. So you've got two things that are driving that. John, is I think you've got the the allure and the unknown and and what's coming at us from AI and just how we digest content, how we learn the ability to have we we're almost like cyborgs today as humans. With that, if you got a smartphone in your hand, you're you're yeah. it, we're a first edition cyborg is what we are. Think about the the access to information is a, a search away. It's a it's a question away. So I think you've got AI that's coming in, and then I think you I, I think you've got um where was it going with this? I almost lost my train of thought. So you've got you've got AI that's coming in, and then I think you had this big social experiment of is in person work, learning, et cetera, is it necessary? And I think COVID fast forwarded that of for Very at least much. the workforce and you saw everybody kind of go about right and they shifted to everybody was forced to go remote and then the world then the world looked at it and some businesses said well why do i have this brick and mortar why do i have these why do i have all this overhead why do i need people in the middle these people they at first were getting more done than ever and they were you know they were focused they didn't have the distractions of work they they their work didn't drop off and so this is Jimmy's opinion only, but I feel like everybody kind of went to this yeah, pro remote. I've worked remote all my life, um, always been remote for 25 years. But now I think you've kind of seen this this drawback of and if this I'm going somewhere with it, but I think you've seen this drawback now to where humans need human interaction. You need you're at your most creative 
you're you're arguably at your you know your happiest. Uh, you a lot of humans need that interaction. They 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 get they get energy off of other humans. They get creativity off of other humans. They get more work done off of being in collaborative situations. And obviously, different different um, different careers are different on this. Sales have always kind of been out on their own, own animals hunting, farming, yeah. whatever you want to call it engineers have always been at, at least in our industry their best when they're sitting next they're in a group we've got a whiteboard session we got a discovery session we can all work and go and so i think education is going to go down this path is what's ai and all the technology going to lend to because it's certainly there's a future where you don't need a school you don't need anything other than you need an internet connection in a device that allows you to stream allows you to learn allows you to read allows you to hear um, that is a, a future possibility. I don't think it's the most effective way because humans learn different ways. Some hear, some learn, some have to write, some have to see. And then do you really need all this overhead and infrastructure? I think yeah. there's going to be a happy medium, but I am seeing where people want to get back together. My industry, our industry, like they're so excited to get back in a room with our partners and our customers and shake hands again and see each other and be around each other and just feel that energy. So a long rambling way of more. saying education's going to evolve, but I don't, I don't know. I think we'll figure it out. What's your, well, what I are think, your all thoughts on that? Yeah. I'd be interested to hear. I mean, I think there's definitely innovation. I mean, I, I think we saw it, especially I, I saw a lot in my college career because COVID hit while I was in college, you know? So my first semester I was all in person and then randomly, Hey, I'm taking classes online and teachers having to figure out, Hey, how are we going to give these students our test, you know? And so we're on Zoom looking at each other while we take tests or, you know, and there's lockdown browsers, all these different innovations. And now we have, you know, chat GPT and, you know, some professors are like, oh, no, we don't want students using chat GPT to write our essays or, you know, I think there's always some new innovation out there. And, uh, you know, education is going to have to adapt to that, um, especially because I think it's growing very fast. Is is it exponential? I don't I don't really know yet, you know. Um, but my, I guess my question with it is, I kind of what what's the biggest problem do you think education's facing right now because of all this innovation? Well, COVID was a good example, right? Like Jim said, you know, we went on spring break that year, and then we're told don't come back from spring break teach the rest of your class remotely and be prepared to teach remotely in the fall. You know, it's like, I'm sure a lot of people were freaking out. I was a little like, well, I'll figure out how to use Blackboard and, you know, video and try and redo my whole class to, to be video. So we all adapted. And I think we're going to have to continue to adapt to deal with like ChatGPT, people are freaking out like, oh, I won't be able to give essays in my class. Well, you know, maybe we need to move beyond asking students to use essays. They were using Google and stealing phrases and sentences from Google, or they were using Chegg to get all the solutions from your textbook that you were using anyway. Like, it's just speeding up the inevitability that we got to move beyond that. Like, you know, I think of the way students learn, Jim, you said students, everybody learns differently, right? right? Not at not the way we currently teach now. We bring all the freshmen in, we put them in, they move along in these little batches, like they're like in boxes and you, you either pass or fail <laughs> that class and almost right. everybody passes and then your box moves forward. It's batch processing. Like Henry Ford figured out how inefficient batch processing was in the early 1900s and invented the assembly line. So why aren't we running students like an assembly line? So I think of it like a horse race, line up the 500 freshmen and let them loose and let them complete little modules. And if you complete your modules faster, you move forward faster. I, I, think, I think there are tons of students who could complete the engineering curriculum in two years, okay? And cut their cost in half. I don't think everybody can. And I think there's some students that need seven years to complete it. So why do we lump everybody together and teach them in batches? Why don't we make this more of a like a progressive assembly sort of situation? Now, 
I don't know all the implications of that. I don't know how you run a university like that with everybody at different levels, how you, the professors would interact. I'm just saying it seems awfully comfortable and convenient for us. Professor walks in to a class of 40 students, teaches them, lecture them up, PowerPoint them to death, give them exams, and then the whole class moves forward. That seems awfully easy on the professor. Like maybe we need to innovate and use AI to recreate this entire educational experience. And some people can finish it in two years. Some people take four. You, you pay as you go. I don't know. There's a lot of implications here, but there have to be new models that come out of it. Do we really need 200 buildings on the University of Louisville campus in order to deliver education? 200 buildings that are Many of them are very old, like the amount of infrastructure and what's the utilization of those buildings? Is it 50% utilization? I'll bet it's below that in most of these buildings. So it, the cost is driven by all of these decisions. And so my fear, honestly, as a smaller university like U of L, somebody big like Purdue, Stanford, MIT, they're going to figure out how to deliver this engineering education using, you know, Oculus goggles and uh, who knows what. The Apple Chat ProVision. They just What's came that? out with it. The new Apple ProVision. Yeah, the Apple go, yeah. Uh, for a low price of $3,500, by the way. Yeah. That yeah. may be prohibitive, but um, <laughs> somebody's going to figure out how to do this. And they're going to be able to do it instead of twenty-five thousand a year or fifty thousand a year. They're going to learn to do it for five thousand a year, and all the students are going to go that route. So I think universities, especially smaller ones like U of L, need to get ahead of this curve quickly and try to figure out how to do this in an innovative way. Because if you don't, I think you're going to go the way of the lamplighters <laughs> walking down yeah. lighting gas lamps on the street, you know, or yeah. candle makers. Uh, so innovation is very rapid and very quick. And you said maybe not exponential, but even if it's close to exponential, it happens in the blink of an eye. And um, so I think we need to be ready for that. I think one thing you're saying is like it's the, the institution as it exists today, academics, college in general is it's ripe for some form of disruption it just it really is and absolutely one of the things i always loved about dr usher john for you all reagan and, and jacob is here's a guy that's done it for 36 years and there's certain ones that you get you had a professor i'm sure you got one probably right now reagan jacob i'm sure you had one is this is the way it is that's the only way it can be listen to me this is how it's going to be do it my way Everybody follow this box, follow my process, and and don't ask for change, Un, uncapable of change. And so one of the things I always appreciated about, and I said it at the beginning of the podcast, was when Dr. Usher walked in the room and his approach to education and his approach to the relationship with the students and his approach to how he taught the material was, it felt at the time, it was like there were very few that were like him that could do it that way. And so here we are at the, really the twilight of your career, John, of, yeah. you know, I mean, you got a year left, a year and a half. Le what, it, what do we got left? Year? About a year, year until I retire fully. Gotcha. And so he's still looking. And I would say if I was in one of his classes today, that it's, he has evolved with the times and he's always put the, the student's interest in front of his own. And it's not about what's best for him. It's always been about what's best for the students. And so when you find those educators, um, I've got a, a massive respect for education people. And I think some people do it really well. And there's no more important job in our in our society than the people that educate our children, our ourselves, and not. And some really have that heart. And John's one that's always had it. And he's innovative and had relationship. And I'm going to ask a question out of this. So Reagan, you haven't got to talk yet. I told, I threw Reagan on the spot today. It's like, it's not even day one. Day one's Monday, but I said, come listen to the podcast. And yeah, so she's here. But when you all think, I'll ask Reagan first and then then Jacob, and we'll get close to wrapping up because we know we, we I talk too long and too much. And, uh, but it's been really fun so far. Appreciate it. And having a good time, John. So Reagan, 
favorite characteristics of your teachers? Like when you, I want to see how many tie back to John because I'll, I'll wrap it back in. But when you look at your teachers, your favorite teachers from your first year of college or maybe even back to high school, how, what words would you use to describe the ones that really made the biggest impact on you? And then when you're done, Jacob, you go. I would have to say, obviously the topic of this conversation, probably off book. Like they don't follow, they don't come into the classroom and say, open up your books and turn to whatever page. And here's the seven bullet points that we're going to go over of the overview of the presentation today. They're more, what do you guys want to learn? They ask questions to their students of, you know, it just helps us engage more. And I think that when you're coming into their classroom versus like, just more of like a traditional, I guess, college lecture hall, you're more engaged, you're more willing to learn. They bring a certain energy to the table that I don't think that most colleges have. And I don't know, I've I've had like two professors out of my eight at Kentucky that really made me shift my mindset of what education should be and what I wanted my the rest of my college career to look like. 25%. That's that's about yep. what I would expect. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Jacob, what about you? You you had a little more college experience, but what yeah, I would who say, stood out to you? Uh, I mean, there's many professors that stood out. I think every management professor at UGA is outstanding. Uh, you know, uh, I could rave are about every Are you given are you given the blanket answer? No, no, I'm yeah, not. I'm, not all all to I'm saying to the they were all great. All the management professors are great. I don't know about some of the other business professors, you know. I, but I, you know, we I'll know talk some about Marty, Marty, Marty Parker's. He, he's great. Board. He's awesome. Absolutely. And awesome. I, yeah. I think what really sets you know those professors apart is their enthusiasm. You know, they want right to learn themselves. You know, and they want to teach you as well. They want you to be as excited to learn about the material as they are to teach you the material uh, and that's inside and out of the classroom you know they want to help you get internships you know to learn and so it's the, those professors that aren't just coming and you know teaching and leave it's the professors that you know want to sit down with you after you know and kind of help you with your career and kind of learn outside of the classroom because i think internships like you said are so important i think the majority of the stuff that you learn that you're going to utilize in the workforce you learn in your internships and outside of the classroom when you try to get that extra help um and then kind of a curveball is humorous you know I, one time i was at this conference and they were like you know leaders need to be humorous and i go all right what, what does that mean they're like you know you don't really think of it but i think when you have someone that's humorous you kind of relate to them more if they can if you can get someone to smile or laugh you're gonna you know, have that greater, greater connection with them. Um, so having a professor that, you know, can crack a joke during the lecture, it's not all serious, you know, you can have a good time. It's more enjoyable and you kind of connect to the material better, so. Awesome. So I heard out of you all just relatable, cares about relationships, you know, they've got a good energy. I think you've got the model there of you want to be a successful college teacher. You you if you're those three things and you can have some fun. That's one of our core values as we share with new customers at Zion is like life is too short to not have fun. And I can get Absolutely. as serious as I need to be. But I certainly don't want to be serious all the time every day about it's like I'm not we're not interested in that. You got to have fun and and life and business can be parallel school and school and life can be parallel i don't i don't think you got to separate and make them these binary acts and um so i i think that's pretty cool one of our things john i'll, I'll share with you and then we'll wrap up because we, we 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 try to keep these a little bit under 45 minutes and i can talk for another hour to you and we could just I chop it up <laughs> but um is our, our main vision statement at Zion Solutions. And we spent a lot of time on this. And some people think it's, some people think that's not a necessary activity or some organizations don't go through it until they're in a place of crisis in their business or they've had some acquisition and they've, you know, they're trying to slam two different cultures together. Or they've got a leadership changeover. I think every business should go through this and keep it fresh. And we certainly did it when we started Zion back in, um, last year it's been we we've, we've been up less than really business business 12 months really about 18 months overall 
um, that we've had to framework as I am. But we put the vision statement together, which is your vision should be what do you aspire to be one day? And it's to deliver memorable experiences and to guide intelligent change. And that's not just we we build warehouse systems and we put together a conveyor and we put up racks and we sell robots and we integrate humans with software and machines. And that's what we do as our business. But you could almost use that in the education system is I think one of this why we're here talking, why we're still friends, why we're we're professional um, acquaintances, John, is you know, you created a memorable experience in your classroom and everybody seeks that in life. And so that's what we wake up every day, what we hope to be, what we hope everything we touch and do is to create that memorable experience. And and then you could argue God intelligent change, but I think you you did that as well in your classes. Your all of them is you gotta adapt to the class. Don't make the class adapt to you. I think that's a big portion of I had professors that did that, and then I had professors that expected me to adapt to their class and that the experience was totally different depending on which side of the perspective or which side of the spectrum the teachers took on that. And um, because I think every class is unique. And then even side your classes, you've got these little subgroups of your overachievers, you know, your super studious uh, kids. And then you had people like me that would sit in the back and just I'd do a crossword puzzle and I'm taking notes. But, you know, I'm listening the same, but maybe I wasn't as 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 good as some of the super studious ones. But Memorable experiences and guiding intelligent change. You got any final comments on that? And then we'll we'll hit you with a fun question about your summer your summer activities. All right. Uh, yeah. No. I I totally agree with that. I think it's almost. I don't know. I've sort of spent my career being famous for sort of disarming people. I I despise pretentiousness. Like. I'm so much smarter than you and I'm going to I'm going to get you to think I'm great. Right. And and I like to disarm people and friends around me and colleagues could probably give you some examples. I won't go into them, but, you know, if somebody who is there who is an elevated sort of type of person, like let's take the president of the university or whoever it may be. I might be the first one to make a joke about that person and disarm them somewhat. And I have numerous times had opportunities to do that. And I'm not talking about a cruel joke. I'm talking about a funny thing where yeah. everyone laughs and that person keep laughs. Keep it light. And then, yeah. Right. And keep it light. And then that person will come up to me later and say, that was so awesome that you did that. That just made me feel like I was part of the group rather than I'm separate from the group. And so I've been very big about that. In the classroom, I I want to be disarming. I want the students to feel comfortable in the classroom around me. I don't want it to be an us versus them situation. And like you mentioned in business, why would you want to have that relationship with your Zion customers, right? That we know exactly what we're doing here. We're smarter than you. You've hired us. We're telling you what like. That's an adversarial role that's never going to lead to a good design or a good outcome. And so the same thing in the classroom applies in every other life situation. Um, It's about connecting to people and making them feel comfortable with you so that you can work together to achieve a goal. And I know that sounds corny and cliched, but honestly, it works very well. My wife does that in her classroom uh, delivery experience, and I have found that the most uh, successful professionals uh, tend to do that. Like you think about somebody like like Elon Musk, who is a very controversial figure in some circles, but he uses the exact same approach. He memes, he's on Twitter, he's doing this, he's doing that. You may disagree with him, and we disagree with lots of people across the spectrum, but he disarms people. And I I just think it's an effective strategy to take a much lighter approach rather than I'm here, you're there, you listen to me, I will tell you exactly what you need to know. Um, So I think it's a great business strategy that you've got, Jim, and I think that that charisma and the the way that you handle life um, and you put family as being an important variable, 
you know, if I was in the market for, for a material handling solution, I would put a lot of weight on that. I really would, because I know that I'm going to get an honest effort, an honest design, an honest cost, uh, because this person who's running the company has a very honest approach towards life and has placed value on intangible factors uh, that are going to end up producing a good outcome. And so um, I think it's fantastic. I think you're you're hitting the, the mark with your uh, with your strategy there. And I I so proud of you. I remember you so well as a student. I've interacted you with you for many years, and uh, I, I think we share a lot of common attributes, to be honest with you, in terms of family and faith and, uh, you know, charisma and comedy and everything else. So I just wish you the best. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, to hear from a person that you look up to and just never put yourself on an elevated status, but always respected. And I think you can have respect without having to go beyond, you know, and without, right. you can have respect without the ego, maybe is a good way to put it. And I think Reagan's probably learning that the first time she talked to me and I, I still struggle with this. Um, I, I don't struggle with it. I struggle to get other people to realize this is, yeah, I own the business. Yeah, I'm a co-founder. You know, I'm one of four. Yeah, my title's the president. I get all those things. There's times I have to put my president hat on and make big, big decisions right. and guide the <laughs> ship and do that. But I'm just another person on the team. And Jacob's been working with me now, and hopefully he can attest to that. It's like, I've never, you did this in the classroom well. And it's why I always respected it is you never put yourself in a position of, we knew you were the teacher. You knew you were the teacher. Right. There was never any other reason other than you knew that and then you disarmed and you you met people in the middle where they needed to be met. And it's just you just life's too short. It's I say it all the time. It's easy to be who you are. And I think some there's some people that won't don't like that. There's some people that can't absolutely cannot handle that in the professional world. I see it on LinkedIn sometime. They probably think I'm a nut job and like I can't believe this guy's a president of a company. He's got a hat on backwards and he's using TikTok and he's on LinkedIn. And but that's who I am and that's who we are and that's who Zion's gonna be and that's who the team. You you see this youth and these great smart people we're gonna put around. And there's people that are attracted to that. And we wanna find those customers. And we're gonna find those customers. And it's okay to say no to some people. I think as you get For older sure. in life, you just kind of get a little I've always probably been a tad too overconfident, but it's okay to, as you get older in life, to know where you're at and just be like, there's people that, that in the majority, it's absolutely the majority of customers and people that you work with, totally off on a tangent, but it's the majority of people. There's a lot of people that you can naturally attract to and customers, and we say it all the time, we're different. We want to be different. We're going to be different. And we're going to find those customers that want to work with people like us that are different. We fed 200 warehouse associates this week at a go live. John, we built a we built a warehouse in, in Dallas, Texas, a brownfield, redesigned it for Tacovas boots. You may have heard of Tacovas or not. They're a new boot brand. Pretty cool. Yes. Really cool brand, hip, hip brand. Really great people. Their whole C-suite was there. We had a had a go live. It went great. And we brought in one of my my partners and co-founders, Drew Eubank, brought in two food trucks. Now it wasn't easy to get them coordinated, but he did. And we fed 200 people that have to sit in a hot semi truck and load it and unload it all day that have to handle returns that have to walk through this warehouse. And I had so much, I had so much pride in just going out. That's what I love doing. I love helping people's job be easier. I love relating to those, that group. Um, it's not about look at us, look at me, look at what Zion did, look at what Tacovis did. It's about how do you make people's other humans' lives better? And, exactly. Uh, I think you can do that in a good, easy way, and you can be transparent, you can be honest, and you can be authentic about how you do that. So totally Fantastic. went off subject, but that's the culture we got. You're a big part of that. You had you you had a a, a profound impact on my college career. Uh I wouldn't have been in industrial engineering if it hadn't been for for Dr. Usher. I'll switch back to Dr. Usher now. And um, he got me excited about this is where you need to be because I came in. I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the I was intelligent. I didn't really have the work ethic because I didn't have to have it in, in, in high school. 
and I came in with a solid C average and I didn't know if engineering was for me. I hadn't spent the time in it. I wasn't passionate about it. I don't come from a family that did it. You know, I didn't have a lot of the things, but I thought I would be good at it because I had good math and science. And when John gave us the overview presentation of the all the engineering's the fundamentals of engineering's um, presentation, I always remember him posting up. Here's who hires industrial engineers, and it was Disney, it was Coca-Cola, it was UPS. I happened to be working at UPS, and I'm like, that's the engineering degree for me. I'm not smart enough, nor have the desire to sit in a cubicle and design stuff that people are going to drive their cars over, which was civil and mechanical. I said, engineering's a, it's the engineering of the people. And uh, you get to work with people. And I said, that's where I'm going to be. And you you brought that to life. You got me excited about it. And here we are 25 years later uh, talking about it. So, you know, it's funny. I look back and I remember meeting you and learning more about you. And I don't even know if I had evaluated your you know, your academics or whatever, but I mean, you wouldn't have been at speed school if you weren't capable of getting it done, like I said before. But when you told me where you were a wrestler and I looked up how successful a wrestler you were, I was like, well, that's a person who's going to be successful because, I mean, while I was never a great athlete, I mean, I can hit a golf ball and shoot a basketball and I played baseball, you know, for many years and stuff like that, but I wasn't a successful athlete. But to me, someone who can be a championship caliber athlete, well, what can't you accomplish? You know what I mean? Like you lifted weights, you ran, you've practiced, you dedicate, you know what I mean? And so that attribute of being able to give up the pleasure in life, the, the you know, the rest easy, like work hard attitude, like if that can be applied in that one area, well, why can't that be applied in many other areas. And so um, I just, uh, I think that that's a fantastic attribute that shows that you can forego instant gratification and deal with a little pain and struggle and, and, and strive towards a goal. Uh, well, let's apply that in engineering. Let's apply that in business. Let's apply that with your family. Let's apply that with in lots of areas of life. So I think successful students and successful people in life find a way to channel that that drive in productive areas of their life and in and avoid the non-productive areas of life. So, um, you know, I, while U of L played a role in your success, uh, you know, what percentage of your success? I don't know. I'm. I, I think there's a lot more internal that drives that success that that you should be proud of and that your parents gave you and your your life experiences have, have given you uh university plays a role in that certainly a big role you know but uh not it's not the full answer so uh, i think All you're going to apply that in your business and i think you're going to be very successful with it so yeah well you, i appreciate that and the kind words and it's it's reciprocated back, you know, that we turn into a love fest here at the end of the, the podcast, hadn't we, everybody well, in the audience? But that's good. But there's there's a lot of mutual respect and it's it's uh, you don't I, I've learned over my career that you take the time to appreciate the people that that have helped get you where you're at and just tell them thanks, because we're all humans. We like to hear words of affirmation. We like to be able to tell you, you don't need them necessarily, but it's good to hear it from people you respect and have, have a high level of respect for, which I do with Dr. Usher. So let's do the final question and then we'll, we'll, we'll exit out. Jacob's Jacob's giving me the look. He's probably chatted me. I don't have to chat up that you're over. You've gone too long. I mean, definitely over, too but long. it's okay. You know, I'm going to give Jacob like he just graduated. So. He gets a C for keeping me on track today. C. Well, maybe you, I a can't C stop plus. a good conversation, you know? And That's so, good. That's what I love about this podcast. I know it's a little long, Reagan. It's the first time you you're you're like just battlefield promotion today. We've talked about it, but this is what I love. It's none of this is scripted. We had a couple questions we threw our way. It's just casual people talking, having having a good conversation. So I will ask the last question though. John and I both share a love for summer vacations. Uh, we have a love for RVing. We have a love for national parks, and so. 
with two professors in the house, you all had a lot of free time and four kids uh, for the summer. And uh, favorite or highlights of favorite summer vacations, national parks or something that you maybe you and the family went to or favorite one-time story? John, What which one oh, would man. you share with us? It's too many. Uh, we have, uh, I'll give you the very quick synopsis. So my wife's sister lives in Portland, Maine, and we would go up to visit um her lynn's parents my wife's parents had a place on sebago lake up there which is a massive lake beautiful lake but nobody could really house us when you have four kids you know it's tough so we bought an rv an old used beat up rv and we would take it to maine over the years we realized hey we have a lot of states why don't we sort of go to maine every other year and on the off years we'll try to pick up states so we set on this quest to get to all the kids to all 50 states, which we ultimately did do. Didn't drive the RV to Hawaii. We had to fly there and we took a cruise to Alaska. But um, honestly, and we're getting ready to go back. We're going to go to Sebago uh, here coming soon uh, with the whole family. So we're talking all the kids, their significant others, grandkids. It's a big logistics operation. I might need Zion to help me figure out how to get everyone up there and all the supplies and everything but um yeah no it's great and then i see you're posting pictures of uh, national parks and uh man we've been to a lot of them right zion and bryce and uh, yellowstone and it's just a fantastic thing and uh our kids we just life is about creating memories you know for your kids in my opinion and we've tried to create sort of memorable experiences for the kids um and it's funny no matter how hard you try the the most memorable ones are always the disasters and the the things that went wrong which is which is another good life lesson here that you know when things go wrong my wife always says ah oh, it'll be a, it'll be a funny story someday and she is 100 percent right so i tell people just get out go places it's always the unexpected thing like well, we had planned to do this, but it didn't work out. You know, we, we wrecked the camper. We had to get it fixed. But man, look what happened when we were at the repair place and we had to get the, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. So you can't experience that without getting out and doing it. So it doesn't have to be a $20,000 flight to Rome to have a great experience. Sometimes it's hopping in the car, hopping in the camper and just going somewhere and man that ice cream you had was the best you ever tasted uh just because of the experience that was involved and so uh, that's what it's all about you know especially when you have a family just get them out there give them some experiences so i'm looking forward to the break here coming up uh the vacation so um uh i don't know jim you got one planned yourself i'm sure right yeah we we leave where I'm putting the four kids, I'm packing them in the RV tomorrow morning and we're heading down to, to Florida for a little vacation. It's going to be our first Fantastic. vacation this summer. And we're doing That's something. So I'll give you a challenge when you get retired because you okay. may not have done this, but my wife gets these, I call them crazy ideas, but they're, they're great. We get our kids. Our kids have been everywhere. Kentucky's got a fabulous state park program or state Absolutely. park system. It's one of the nicest in the U.S. Most people don't realize that in Kentucky because you you don't know if you don't know. But I, I've been my kids have been to 47 states. We've missed Nebraska somehow, but we've got a one year go of one. going to all 120 Kentucky counties. And we got about we're a little over 50 nice. percent done. And my 12 year old's writing a little blog. We go to the county seat. We take a picture at the courthouse and we're fine oh. somewhere to eat or do and. So that's the latest, greatest Shaw family adventure. But I'm taking we're, the. We're headed to Barkley next week. So we're no, I've never been to Barkley. So we're, we're going there down there. And Fourth of July. We're going down. We're going to hit Western Kentucky the 4th of July. So I put chaos in an RV. I've got four little that's, crazy kids. And we just, we roll into town like. I, I don't know. know what we'd roll into town like. And we just. I always like called a, it glorious chaos. Like it's chaos. It is. But. You got to yes. sort of revel in it and just let it yes, let it did. go and and deal with it. But it's glorious. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's wrap it up. So, John, Dr. Usher, greatly appreciate it. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I hope everybody out there that's still with us, there's going to be some really good stuff that we can chop up out of this in terms of just your career and all you've accomplished. Um, 
and which is a lot and the number and the numerous lives you've impacted and you don't have the ego to take credit for that but we'll we'll tell you you've probably impacted people more than you really know and i call it the invisible threat of life like your impact on me has impacted reagan is it going to impact jacob is going to impact so many customers and so we carry that with us through life and so for that i thank you um be proud of the career you've had and uh, there were a lot of really good teachers uh, that we had that give due to the profession, and U of L's a had a fabulous education experience there. I didn't take a traditional college, but you were a big part of that, and so uh, I've always appreciated that. I don't probably haven't thanked you enough for that over the years, and just glad we got to spend an hour and a half, or hour, or forty-five minutes, or whatever we've spent together, and just hear a little bit more from you and. Hope some ex-students will have to share this, John. You have to find a way to get it shared and out and get Pratik to put it on the U of L, maybe LinkedIn and let some ex-students that'd love to hear from you again, I'm sure. So it's great. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's yeah. so great to be here with you and uh, uh, be with Jacob and Reagan and uh, just wish you guys the best of luck uh, with Zion and with everything else in life. And uh, uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Jacob, Reagan, y'all got any finals? Just smiles. Good. Yeah. Just a huge big Good. smile and a thank you. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. All right. Well, we're all done. And we're all thanks, everybody.